Good evening. Good to see you. Oh, that was great. I didn't do that again just because it was great. Good evening. That was even better. All right. Uh, no, it's really good to see you guys here. I'm going to move the table, and I don't even promise to stay on the stage, all right? You okay with that? All right. I'll start here, but I'm going to try. Um, actually, I'm just going to share just a, just a few minutes tonight. I'm not going to talk very long because I do want you to have a chance tonight to really meet the, uh, the people that have stepped forward uh, to lead connection groups. And my hope and my goal is that uh, the few minutes that I speak, you will understand my heart, and you will understand Matt's heart, and you will understand why we think this is more than just a, a program we'd like to have good numbers for. Um, that's just not even it. But really, I just want to share five words with you. I don't have any slides. Oh, there's a good slide. We can leave that up the whole time. I don't have any slides for you. I just have five words that I want you to to think about. And I want you to remember, and I think by the time I'm done talking today, you'll remember these five words. And these five words are why we're doing connection groups and why we're emphasizing them by taking a a, a whole service really to to let you have a chance to meet these people and, and why they're so important to us and why I'm so passionate about it. And so it's just these five words I want you to think about. I'm going to share some scriptures with you, and, and with each scripture, I'm going to give you a word to think about as we go. And I may occasionally ask you to even recite that word back to me. So when I said good evening and you all responded so well, you set the bar high, all right? So as I go ahead and, and uh, give you these words, I'm going to ask you at times to repeat them back. It'll help you remember them, all right? They're simple words. They're not complicated. You will be able to say them, I promise. Here's the thing I want you to think about. Discipleship is not only something that the church does, but it is something that only the church does. I mean that there is no other entity, there is no other organization, there is no other group or individual that God has anointed with the mission of discipleship. If we don't do it, it doesn't get done, period. Ephesians, Paul talks all about this and all the importance of it. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul talks about the fact that God's plan from the beginning, from before eternity, was to use Jesus Christ to bring salvation to people, to the world, for a plan of redemption for the whole world. In the second chapter, Paul talks about how this isn't only a personal salvation, but that this has a community aspect. He talks in there about how there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no black, there's no white, there's no Latino. We are all together. And all the divisions between us are erased before God, that we are reconciled. And he begins to talk about the importance of that in a community. He goes on in the third chapter to talk about how his mission is to explain how the church works. And in the fourth chapter, he tells us how the church works. And this is what he says. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul says this amazing thing. He says that the job of the church is to grow. That's what he says. The job of the church is to build itself up. This is peculiar, but that's what he says. And the first word I want you to remember today is growth. Just say growth. Growth. Paul tells us that it is God's plan that the role of the church is to grow and to build each other up. The church builds the church up as every part does its work. Matt does not build the church up by doing his job. You have to believe that. The particular teacher on a given day, Jerome as the worship leader, none of us build the church by our job. But the church builds the church as each part does its work. But there's something surprising as we come to the second word that Titus tells us about how growth happens. It's one thing to say that growth occurs through the church, the church that we're responsible to do it, but it's reasonable for us to go to God and say, then how? How does growth happen? And Titus says this very strange verse. Paul says to Titus, for the grace of God that has a has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God, the gospel, the grace of God that brings us salvation. That's the grace we're talking about, not some other grace. The grace of God that means that you are saved not by your works, not by your effort, not by your duty, not by your devotion, not by the law, not by your efforts, not by your rituals, not by your traditions, and not by following commands. You are saved by the grace of God through the blood of Christ. And it says this very same grace, not a different grace, this same grace of God that brings salvation to all people, he says, it, that grace, teaches us, trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Did you know that grace trains you to be self-controlled? Not the law, not the duty, not Pastor Matt, not the sermons, not the rituals, not the customs, not the traditions, not the words that I speak, not the worship that Jerome gives, but grace. Grace trains you. The same grace freely given by God to those who believe that brought you salvation is the same grace that trains us, that disciples us. Discipleship is done by grace. That's weird. And we say this, This is what we understand. If you understand that the grace of God is his goodwill towards you, connected with his power to be able to enact that goodwill, then you would say, how could grace not change us? If God desires to do good to us and has the power to do it, then how could it not change us? But how does grace train us? How does that happen? Well, one way... Peter has this verse. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if hearing the verse read like that doesn't depress you, you are not taking it seriously. I mean, really, think about this a second. He gives this long list of things that most of us struggle with any one of them on any given day. 
And then he says, if these are increasing in measure every day, I can't even hold them static on a single day. And these are supposed to be increasing in measure all the time? Seriously? Really? If you think you've got this down, let's talk about humility. (laughs) He says these should be increasing in measure. And he says if they are, the good news is you'll be effective and productive. Well, no kidding. And you look at your life and you say, I'm not effective and productive. I'm not fruitful as a community, as a church. We're not as effective as we'd like to be. Is that fair to say, Matt? Of course it's fair to say. We're not as effective as we'd like to be, so we say we're not growing in these, so what do we do? How do we make every effort to do these things? But we were just told it's grace that trains us. And you know what Peter says right after that verse? He says, whoever does not have them, whoever does not have these qualities in increasing measure is nearsighted and blind. First of all, how bad does it have to be to be nearsighted and blind? I don't even know what that means. But he says, whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed of their past sins. Well, this is a whole different, different bent. Now he says, if you're ineffective and unproductive, it's because you're not growing in these things. And if you're not growing in these things, it's because you've forgotten that you've been cleansed of your past sins. That's it. Grace trains us. And one way it trains us is through what I want to call remembrance. Say remembrance. So what's the role of the church? The first word was what? The second word is what? Sometimes we just need each other as a church to remind each other that the grace of God is what trains us. And not your self-effort, not your self-righteousness, not your personal sense of holiness, not your strong convictions, not your good strategies, not your methodologies, but the grace of God. You have been cleansed of your past sins. But there's something even more powerful than this about the grace of God training us. And Peter goes on to say this. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We are stewards of a lot of things. To be a steward means somebody gives you something and says, use this wisely on my behalf. We are given stewardship of time. That's a big thing. All of our life, it's like a steward of time. That's amazing. We're given money. We're told to be good stewards of our money. That's important. Talks a lot about that in Scripture. That's a big thing. But can you imagine that God actually, the same grace that saved us, the same power and goodness of God, the very power of God to resurrect you from the dead, God gives you a stewardship of that power. Do you want it? (laughs) Because it's a little scary. (laughs) He gives you a stewardship of his grace, and he says, here, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pass it on to the other people in the church. I grant you the power to show my goodness to them. Not just your own goodness, because that's not enough. But I grant you the power to show my goodness to them. And Peter says, we've all received a gift, which is a, a piece of this grace. He says, whoever speaks should speak as if he's speaking the very words of God. Do you actually believe that? He says, whoever serves should serve as if it's by the strength God provides. Have you ever done that? Or do you just wear yourself out? Can you imagine if it were true, just for a moment, that God actually granted you a supernatural anointing of his grace to pass on to other people? That he gave you a gift for the rest of the church? What if it were true that you actually are God's gift to the church? And what if that were true of every single one of you? Wouldn't that be amazing? And wouldn't it be a shame if you hoarded that gift? You know, my kids sometimes want me to get gifts for their mom because they can't afford them. 
And we'll go to the store and they'll say, let's get mom this Barbie doll because she would love it. And I say, it's from your heart, that's fine. And I give it to them and we go home and that little girl says, I don't want to give it to mama. (laughs) But that's why we bought it. You gave it to me. Yeah, I gave it to you to give to them. Your spiritual gift is not for you, brothers and sisters. It's for the church. That's what it's for. The third word is anointing. You are anointed. Everybody say, it's not anointing, it's anointed. Everybody say, anointed. Anointed. Thanks. The first word, the role of the church is what? And one of the ways that we do this is as grace trains us, we need to remember. So the second word is? And the third word is that you have been given a superhero power, and with great power comes great responsibility. And that word is? Some of you recognize that reference. You should all recognize that reference. Yes, I question your salvation if you don't recognize. No, I'm joking. Totally joking. But that is an amazing thing. It's just like that. We all desire that. That's why we love superhero movies. We want to have that special power, right, to save the world. You have it. You have it. It's that mercy that you show. It's that word that you speak. It's that service that you give. It's that love that you have. It's that challenge that you present. It's that hospitality that you share. It's not just a personality quirk. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? How can we not do something with that? But this means something else. If this is true, that discipleship is the role of the church, that we are to build each other up, and if it's true that this happens by the grace which trains us as we remind each other that we're saved and trained by the grace of God, and if it's even more importantly true that we are anointed with individual gifts that together we use for discipleship, it means that any time we discipleship in terms of one-to-one or one-to-many, we're missing it. Do you understand that? If we think discipleship is primarily what happens when one person speaks to a group, we're missing it. If we think discipleship happens primarily from one person to one person, we're missing it. Did Jesus ever preach to large groups? Yes. But do you get the idea that's where the bulk of his discipleship occurred? No, and he was God. Did he spend time mostly one-to-one? He spent time mostly one-to-a-few. The truth is, discipleship doesn't occur one-to-many, and it doesn't occur one-to-one as most, as, it often, as we think like it to most of the time. It most often occurs many-to-many. Do you understand that? That means it can only happen in communities. Only in communities. Discipleship isn't and must not be something that happens between two people who meet on a Wednesday only to go over a passage of Scripture, because your gifts, as much as you'd like them to be, are not enough to represent the whole body of Christ. Do you understand that? You cannot be, contrary to things we've heard, you cannot be in totality Christ to somebody else. But we can be. Because together we can grow up into the maturity of him who is Christ. So the fourth word is community. Everybody say community. So the first word is is what? That's our role. The second word is what? It is grace that trains us. The third word is what? You have superpowers to build up your brother and sister in the Lord. And the fourth word is, you have got to be involved in thriving communities of discipleship. 
And finally, if you return back to the verse we started in Ephesians, it starts by saying that God has provided, Jesus has provided pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles for the purpose of equipping the church to disciple. Not for the purpose of discipling, but for the purpose of providing an atmosphere, an environment, instruction, strategies, methodologies, encouragement, and inspiration for you to serve each other to disciple. And so when I say these next words, I want you to know that I would not say them if I did not believe from my conversations with Matt that he was wholeheartedly in favor of what I'm about to say. Now he's nervous, though. (laughs) But face it, he gets the pulpit for, uh, you know, a lot more days, so he can always correct it. No, I really believe that he believes this. You can ask him right after we're done. If you don't feel like you're being discipled, if you're missing out on what you think discipleship should be in the church, or if you feel like you're not contributing enough to disciple, then as a leadership at Paragon, we believe the best place for both of those things to happen is not Sunday morning or Saturday night. We believe the best place for that to happen is in small thriving communities of discipleship. If you are not in a connection group, God loves you. Is that clear? If you are not in a connection group, the grace of God still trains you. Is that clear? But if you are not in a connection group, you are short-circuiting the very anointing and method and design by which God has said grace will most effectively train you. Is that clear? Small groups aren't just a good idea. They have been the foundation of the church since Jesus showed us the way. Ever since, we have found that small groups, thriving communities, are the way that discipleship occurs. It's where it happens. Even if it's accidental, think about your own life and when you've learned and how you've learned, and you'll find the vast majority of the time it's been in thriving communities of graceful discipleship, not sitting in a pew. Look, I believe teaching is important. I would have to get a different job if I didn't. I believe that what Matt does every week, he works very hard on, and you should listen. But I know that he believes that what he's doing there is equipping you to serve in thriving communities of discipleship. That's what he's doing. Not discipling beyond that. These are the words, and if you happen to write them down or if you're very quick, you may have noticed that these make an acronym. So this will help you remember. The first word is what? Starts with a G. The second word is what? So we have GR. The third word is what? So we have GRA. See where we're going? The fourth word is what? That starts with a C. And the last word is equipping, which starts with an E. So when you today, when you consider, when you think about going and signing up for one of these connection groups, and I'm going to give you a very specific challenge here in a second, but when you do that, when you go to those groups and you get ready to sign, here I come, when you get ready to sign up for one of those groups, I really want you to try to think about these, not as Bible studies 
or social gatherings. Not as a program that you get into so that Matt won't be disappointed in you. Not as something that you do because we're trying to prop up the label of Paragon. Look, I love Paragon. I'm even wearing the shirt. But I want you to try to think of these as groups where you gather together to allow the power of God to build you up. Why on earth would you not join the Justice League if you had the power? (laughs) This is the time. This is an opportunity. I'm not marketing small groups because it's my job. It's my job because I think it's the most important thing we can do as a church. I prayed with the small group leaders back there before we came out. And I told them, you guys are the front line. This is the meat of this church. Man, Matt will not be the slightest bit disappointed if you guys join small groups and confess to him that you have grown more in those small groups than you ever did sitting in a teaching that he gave. Right? He will be delighted. (laughs) He will be thrilled. Because that is the mechanism which God has provided. Paul was given the mission of telling us how it works. And this is how he told us it works. And it's silly for us to go elsewhere. I'm going to ask the the music team to come up. We're going to sing one more song. And I want you to think as we sing this song about what we're talking about. It is the blood of Christ that saves us. And the grace of God that comes through that that also trains us. It's all because of Jesus. When we're done singing, here's my challenge to you today. You are expecting to be here for longer because the service usually goes longer. So my challenge is stay here at least as long as you would have had we gone till 7.10. That means till 7.10, <laughs> in case you missed the reasoning there. <laughs> Don't leave until then. And my challenge is this. Maybe you already are part of a small group. Maybe you didn't think you were going to be part of a small group. Maybe you still don't think you want to be part of a small group. I still want to challenge you with this. There's food on every small group table, okay? (laughs) I want you to sample all the food. I'm not a taskmaster. That's not a hard thing. I want you to go to each table. And if you don't want to sample the food, that's fine. But I want you to go to each table, even if you already know about the group. And I want you to give that leader a chance to share with you why they do what they do. Just give them a chance. And then go to the next. And what I'd really like you to do is go through and pick your two favorite. Just pick two groups in your head that you think, they are in a pretty good time. They make sense. I understand the passion. I might be interested in it. I'm not saying you have to go to two. Pick two. And then before you walk out of here today, whittle one of those down and pick one that you're willing to sign up for, understanding that this is not a contract. But the leader can contact you and talk more about it. Just sign up for one. If the leader calls you and you say, I only did it because they've challenged me, fine. I'm all right with that. Sign up anyway. That's my challenge. 
Am I going to be the church police and walk around and count the names? And if you're not there, going to come get you? Absolutely. No, I am not. I... <laughs> no, but it scared you for a moment, didn't it? No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But I really, this is the challenge. This is the call and response. This is the altar call for today, if you will. I just really want you to, that's it. Just go to each table. Let them talk to you. And pick two in your head. And then sign up for one. And then let the chips fall where they may. That's what I'd really like. That's my plea to you. Because if I'm right, that this is the most important thing we can do as a church, and if Paul's right, that there is an enemy, then I guarantee you that the enemy does not want you to be involved in this. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I just want you to know I think that's true. So think about it. Take the challenge. I'm going to pray briefly, and then we're going to sing Heavenly Father, take any of the words that I spoke that sounded guilt-inducing or manipulative and just wipe them away. Just, just get rid of them, Lord. And my frailty, if that's how it sounded, I pray that your grace would cover that. But take the words that sounded like a challenge from you, Lord, that speak of your heart, of your desire to see each of us grow and connect in thriving communities which can change our hearts and our lives. That this is really where the be changed in our slogan can happen those words, Lord, and strike to our hearts. Lead us today to the groups that fit us. Lead us to take the small step of faith, to put our name on a piece of paper, even if it isn't where we end up. You do what you need to do, God. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you're faithful to us, no matter what happens tonight. I thank you that you're always there, that nothing we do tonight will make you love us more, and nothing we do tonight will make you love us less. But Lord, we want to connect with you. We want to connect with each other. Lead us into that tonight. Amen.
getting their feet washed? What do you think? I mean, sitting there in awe? Why didn't they pick up a basin? Good question. That's what I was thinking. Why didn't they pick up a basin? So he, he got done. And he puts on his outer garments and he resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for, for so I am. Guess what? You're right. I am the Lord. I am the one that is up here. You call me teacher and Lord and you're right. But if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Here is where the discipleship piece comes in that we really need to grasp. Let me read verse 14 and 15 again for you real quick. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus sets the example. I am serving you. You need to go serve others. You need to serve one another. You need to put yourself in a position and put your ego aside. You need to put all these things away and say, I am going to do that. And the crazy thing is, is here as he's serving, it's bigger than that. Look what it says in verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He did so much more than wash feet that moment. As a matter of fact, if you look at the picture from verse 4 to verse 12, it's really the bigger picture is what he did for us all together. Check this out. He got it from the table, verse 4. The bigger picture is he got it from his throne of glory. He took off his outer garments in verse 4. bigger picture is he took off the robe of deity. He took up a towel and wrapped around his waist in verse 4. The bigger picture, he wrapped himself in the flesh of humanity. He poured water in the basin and he cleansed their feet. The bigger picture is that he came down and he poured out his blood to wash us clean of our sins. This, what he did, is, is encapsulated in this little, little thing here, but it explains so much more. And guess what? It says in, in verse 12 that he resumed his place. And guess what he's about ready to do? He's about ready to return to glory via the resurrection to his heavenly throne. See, Jesus taught his disciples what it meant to follow. He taught his disciples what it meant to live. He taught his disciples what it meant to lead and what servant leadership really looks like. He said the cost of following is going to be hard, and part of that cost is going to be your life. It's going to be your life. And how we lay down our lives plays into putting ourselves aside, about putting our pride aside, about putting our ego aside, and taking up that towel. See, that towel that's on the back of your chair, it represents the lowest place in the house. That's what Jesus did. He took up a towel. He took off his outer garments. He, he took on the towel. He, he made himself low. Well, when he came down from heaven, he made himself low. I can't even imagine stepping down out of perfection into this. But that's what he did, and he did it for us. He did it for you, and he did it for me. And we see it play itself out here in all of this. And he, he's there, and he's serving, and he says, I want to do this. I want you to do it as well. And we have to grasp the concept that what God has given us isn't about us. That what God is doing isn't even about us. It's about Him. It's about His glory. It's about His glory being revealed. So what I want you to do is I want you to take up that towel. I want you to take up that towel. We have a, a slogan in our, in our ownership class that we have, and, and I wish it was mine. It's not. It's on all different churches, but I love what it says. Saved people, serve people. 
Saved people serve people because our salvation is a direct result of Jesus serving us. And we need to do what he's called us to do. We serve because he first served us. It's part of the process of following him. It's part of the process of changing. It's part of that process of discipleship to show and and, and bear the fruit that he's called us to bear, becoming more like him. See, Jesus humbled himself. He washed the feet of his friends. He washed the feet of his enemy. And he washed the feet of a guy who kept saying, I'm not good enough for you to do that. He, he lowered himself in that. It's a powerful reminder that we're supposed to do the same thing in our lives. Today and every day, instead of looking to be served, which tends to be the mindset of many, many people, even when we walk into church, it's about what can I get out of it? We're supposed to serve. I, I put in that you version notes, and if you want to write your notes down someplace, this week, I will live like Jesus and serve blank. You fill in the blank. Whom? Who will you put in that that spot? By doing what? Blank. How can you live like Jesus in that way? Why do I say that? And, And you know, I'm not talking about within the church. I'm talking outside the church. I'm talking about the people that you run into on a daily basis. I'm talking about the people that, that, that somewhere along the lines, you're going to blow their minds because they're going to think like Peter, I'm not worthy to be served. But we're being like Jesus and we're putting ourselves lower. This week, I will serve, I will live like Jesus and serve who? In order to, by doing what? So you save people, serve people with the goal in mind that serve people will become saved people. That's discipleship. That's where we're going. We're trying to bring people along. We're trying to introduce people who Jesus is and what he has done. And that's outside the church. And what about inside the church? What about inside the church? For the sake of Jesus, what task is below you that needs to be done even here at the church? What task is it? You know, it's funny. I I talk to to pastors all the time. I talk to pastors of 10,000-member churches, and I talk to pastors that have 10 people in their church. You know what the number one thing that all of them say is? Kids ministry. Kids ministry. Doesn't matter how many people you have in your, for whatever reason, people don't like diapers. I understand. I absolutely understand now. There are some gross things that fill up those diapers. Maybe that's kind of our foot washing. Maybe that's where we can step in and say, you know what? Jesus washed feet. I think I can handle a kid for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Maybe that's part of our service. Maybe you have a gift that you're not using yet. God has given us gifts not for our benefit, but for the benefit of, of, of your church family, for the benefit of those that are around you. What gift is it that you have that you can use? I was hoping that Patrick uh, and Jana would be here today. Um, they normally come on Saturday nights. He said he probably wouldn't be able to make it, but I was hoping they would. Man, they come in and they clean up the church every Saturday morning. He loves washing toilets and cleaning toilets. He actually told me that. Oh, no, no, Matt, don't do it. I like doing that. I'm like, who likes doing that? She's, and Janice's like, no, he does it at the house too. Our bathrooms are spotless because he likes, and I'm like, you got to get counseling. We got to get you some help. <laughs> but, but he loves it. And that's his thing. And when he comes in, he's like, no, I want to do that for the church. That is the gift I want to give to the church. And I'm like, hey, I guess if God made it, then yeah then I don't have to, and that's good. 
But what is it that God has given you that you can impart on the fellow believers that you have? What is it that we can say, you know, doesn't give me recognition? I'm sure Patrick would never want me to say that, but I already did, so it's too late. But he, he wants to glorify Christ in that. He doesn't want his glorification. He doesn't want you guys to pat him on the back and not shake his hand because you're like, I know where those hands have been. <laughs> but, you know, that's the, that's the reality of, of where we're at. How do we glorify Christ? How do we use what we've given been given. How do we take up this towel? The reason why I'm giving you a towel, towel's 33 cents. It's, it's really nothing major, but when you take it out of here, some of you will probably put it on the dash of your car and leave it there. I've seen some dashes of the cars. I don't understand why they get so full of stuff. I can't stand that. But, but maybe you'll put it on the dash of your car when that yuck film that gets on the end, I don't know what that is, but when you hit the sun just right and you can't see out your front window and you're looking for something to wipe the window with so you can actually see out of it, maybe that's what you'll pick up and you'll start wiping with it. And as you pick up that rag, you'll, you'll think to yourself, and Jesus took up a towel. Who can I serve? Maybe you'll take it home and you'll make it part of your dusting rag. You'll throw away the old underwear that you've been using and, uh, and you'll pick up, I've never understood that by the way, but maybe you'll pick up this towel and you'll start wiping. You'll say, you know what, I'm dusting in my house. Maybe... I can go help that neighbor who's having trouble getting along clean up their house. Maybe I can put myself in that position. Maybe I can put my pride aside. Maybe I can put my ego aside. Maybe I can put my agenda aside and say, I'm just going to show them the love of Jesus. That's why I want you to take this towel. Like I said, it's not anything special. I thought about having it embroidered or, you know, having it screen printed with a P on it or something like that. I'm like, why? We're just going to, somebody's going to put it in their oil white, you know, that kind of, who knows what you're going to do with it. But I want it to be a reminder that you can serve Jesus in a way by serving others, just like he served us first. That's my challenge to you today. That's what I want you to walk out of here with. That's what I want you to grasp in this cost of discipleship because it's going to cost us our life. If we're going to follow Jesus, we don't get to be in charge anymore. He is the Lord, which makes him in charge, which makes us the servant. My challenge to you today is to serve. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son who came down here and set an example that we, that we can't even believe. Our minds cannot wrap itself around. But God, it's awesome. And once again, we're thankful for it. We look to him and we want to be like him. I pray for the distractions in life to be, to be taken away. I pray for them to be just invisible so we can focus clearly on him, on your son who came down here and set an example for us to follow. And I pray that we can. I pray that wherever you're burdening our hearts at to serve, whatever it might be, that, God, we, we stop making excuses and, and we step up and we do it. Maybe even in that way, maybe it's baptism. Maybe you've been laying the burden on somebody's heart to get baptized, to follow you in that step. Because that's even serving others to say, look, I'm taking that step of faith. You can too. God, I pray if that's it, you even get them moving in that direction. God, work in each individual's heart wherever they're at to move them to that next step that you've called us to move to. Help us to be that example to show the love of your son to somebody somewhere. Pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to be down here in the front as we sing this last song. And, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe you just need me to pray with you. I'd be happy to do that. Maybe you just need to pray at your own seat.
Because I'm not some sort of intermediary. Or you don't need me to pray on your behalf. Maybe you just need to have a little conversation with God. We're going to sing in this glorious day. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. And as we see that, we can say, you know what? That's a, that's a massive undertaking that he took on just for me. He died for me. I should just live for him. And that's a response. Maybe that's what you need to sit down and talk to him about. But I'd be happy to pray with you as well. If you want to get baptized, if you heard about that message of salvation there in the middle about how it's grace poured out and you haven't grasped that yet, I would love to talk to you about that. Let's do that as we sing this song. So I'm going to turn it over to you, right? There's an encounter Jesus has out of Luke 7 where a Pharisee named Simon had invited him over for dinner and a woman, the Bible just says it, she was a very sinful woman had come in and she was just weeping and weeping and she was weeping on Jesus' feet and she was wiping them dry with her hair and she anointed his feet with ointment and Simon was like, get out of here, get out of here, what, what's going on? And so Jesus tells him a parable, a story about who would be the most grateful of, of, of a certain monetary amount that was forgiven. And in the end of it, he tells Simon, he, guess what about, guess, guess something about this woman. There, I tell you, her sins, this woman in front of you, this sins, which were many, are forgiven, for she has loved me much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And as Matt was speaking, my heart kept asking my head, how much have you been forgiven? Because when I realize from the depths of what Christ has saved me from, there ought to be a response to that. In a sense that he who has been forgiven little loves only little. He who has been forgiven much loves much. And it's convicting me about how I choose to love those around me. My kid, my wife, my neighbor across the street whose driveway was covered in snow a number of weeks back. And man, I really didn't want to go over there and shovel off her snow so she could get in and out. Ah, what a pain. I don't want to get up off my couch. I'm watching football. How much have I been forgiven? It's a rhetorical question, I think, but I think we all know the answer. And this is kind of what the song's about when you think about what Christ has done for us.